0: I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tyler. How are you?
1: I'm excited to talk about this episode because you have received your holiday episode that you've been hoping for.
0: I've been dying for this. And, uh, You know, I mean, the listeners may not know, but like, I'm obsessed with Halloween. I love Halloween. So it's gonna be hard for me not to derail the whole conversation into a conversation about Halloween costumes, Halloween in the workspace, blah, blah, blah. But,
1: But I've already, I've got questions for you about exactly those things. So.
0: Is this a, like, does the office have like a Halloween episode every year like the Simpsons does?
1: Kind of, yeah. I, I can't remember for sure if it's every single season, but there are a bunch of them.
0: Okay. I love a Halloween episode. I like a Christmas episode too. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, you know, I like as we we established I'm a fan of holiday episodes. So. Yeah,
1: you love all the holiday episodes. Um yeah, we got we got some Christmas, we got some Halloween. They're always kind of off for the summer. You don't ever get a fourth of July, but
0: Ooh, that's true.
1: But uh yeah, the Christmas and Halloween are pretty, pretty standard. Did so. you,
0: have you ever heard of Grinch Night? No, what is that? So, okay, so I only recently discovered this. Uh, some friends had us over for uh, what they called Grinch Night. And it was like, we were going to watch the Jim Carrey live action. um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But apparent, but before that, as pregame, we watched like what was essentially like the Halloween special with the Grinch but they don't call it Halloween they call it Grinch night and anyway it was uh it was fascinating to me to imagine that like you would the Grinch seems entirely defined by his relationship to hating Christmas so <laughs> it would be like other holidays anyway but it made me think like oh my god like is this a Halloween special that I need to put in the Halloween special rotation like you know, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, or, you know, there was the Garfield Halloween special as a kid, I remember. Um,
1: This Grinch thing is a Halloween special of something?
0: That was what they said. Uh, I did not do deep research into it. It is trippy as hell.
1: Huh, never thought about the Grinch existing outside of the world of Christmas.
0: I agree. I also thought, for some reason, I assumed that Hooville was entirely a Christmas town, much like Christmas town in nightmare before Christmas like their whole life is Christmas but I guess not
1: I sort of feel like there's this snow globe out there somewhere where all of the Christmas characters sort of live and stay together and it's just always Christmas but maybe it's that like the earth only passes through it you know a certain number of times okay we need
0: to write this screenplay because that's a winning idea
1: it's a winning idea I
0: uh well, we, because well, Christmas was recently here and we were like, you know, watching random like Christmas specials and stuff. And I have really strong feelings. I know this is like straying a bit from Halloween, but just, just quickly, like I really dislike most represent- most Christmas movies, but I especially hate ones that represent like the North Pole. And just, <laughs> like they all seem to, even when they're being ironic, they just represent the elves as this like underclass of slaves for Santa. And they're so happy in their labor. And it just is sickening to me, you know, the idea that like all Christmas presents come from this kind of, you know, exploitation of, of a, of a minority group at the North pole is any, and that every year we're like, oh, isn't that so cute? Oh, it's gross to me.
1: (laughs) Wow. Tyler, bring in the controversial. I'm sorry.
0: I don't mean to get political.
1: (laughs) Clear. And like, Tease out the strands here. So you love Christmas episodes of TV shows. I do. You hate Christmas movies.
0: Yeah, actually, I've never really articulated in my head, but yeah, I'm not a huge Christmas movie fan.
1: What about Christmas movies that don't deal with the North Pole? Although, let me first ask. So, do you hate Elf?
0: No, I like Elf a lot, and I watch it every year. Um, but it is. It does give into this. Uh, you know a happy elf is a happy worker uh you know (laughs) capitalism thing that i'm not a fan of but yeah elf is great
1: you should write about this
0: (laughs) Um, yeah
1: i think this is the next project for you
0: but i have strayed us too far i apologize uh i was gonna ask if you had any uh thoughts reflections on our previous
1: episode any errors corrections omissions I do. I was th- and I was thinking about maybe calling this segment Revisions and Regrets. Oh
0: my God. Okay, I'm writing that down. <laughs> uh,
1: so I don't think I really had any-
0: Revisions and regrets.
1: <laughs> I don't think I really had any revisions or corrections to make, um, but I did have a couple of regrets of things that I missed. <laughs> Two things. First of all, Mambo number five, I wanted to point out that some of the lyrics include Angela and Pamela. Yeah. I like Angela, Pamela, Sandra, and Rita. That oh part. Oh my gosh. So okay. I was curious what, what, what you know, kind of went into that choice. And I sort of liked that it had that little reference. Um, and just that it being you know, it being a song about, what does Lou call himself? It's not like the king of flirting. Oh, for me, flirting is just like a sport. And he's sort of going through this list of all of these women. And so Michael having that song is just really pretty great. So there's that. So that's thing one. Mm -hmm. Regret number two was that I forgot to mention this thing that I noticed. And I have to confess that seeing a picture of this on the internet kind of like tripped me off and made me look for it. So you know that little sign that's on Michael's wall it's sort of over his right shoulder. It would look like it's a degree or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I saw online one time, this like zoomed in picture of it. And it said that it was, it was a certificate of authenticity for a watch, like for a watch that he bought. But then when I was watching the show sort of recently, I noticed like I was looking at it and I'll like pause it. If there's a moment where it's really kind of especially clear, and it sometimes says certificate of participation from Dunder Mifflin. Oh. So, but it does both things. And in that last episode, it was sometimes certificate of authenticity for a watch uh, and sometimes a certificate of participation from Dunder Mifflin. Fascinating. Like it changes. And I love it that his certificate, so it's hilarious that he would have this authenticity certificate for a watch. <laughs> But also that his thing on his wall is a certificate of participation. Oh, God love In him. what,
0: though? Like in a, in a <laughs> like a, do they have like a summer picnic
1: or something? Or they
0: are just like participating in the
1: company? Like I don't know. I couldn't read the smaller print, but okay. this will be a goal for me for the future.
0: In future revisions and regrets, we'll... Yes, I'm going
1: to need uh, to get out uh, a magnifying glass or something and see if I can if I can read that.
0: I feel like revisions and regrets is also a name for academia.
1: Oh, you know? completely.
0: For our experience of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. For the
0: regret that we can't revise our choices. Anyway, you know, but I don't have much about the previous episode, except that something in this episode illuminated and clarified something in the previous episode for me. So we'll come back to this when we talk about Dwight's costume
1: Oh. in this episode
0: but i will yeah. just remind everybody of our kind of puzzlement over why dwight would mention the crow as his um like desert island movie right or his favorite movie or whatever
1: yeah. Yeah. um
0: and we were kind of working it through and we kind of hit on this like m- moment in in the representation of the nerd in <laughs> contemporary culture and So I want to return to that in our conversation here. Um, But I was like, oh, okay, now I get it.
1: All right, put that on the agenda.
0: It's on the list. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to dive in? Let's do it. All right. So uh, this episode, Halloween, uh, this is the summary. As the staff preps for a Halloween party, Michael can't decide who to let go, putting a damper on the festivities. So... Your initial thoughts, impressions.
1: Initial thoughts, impressions. The costumes. (laughs) Why don't we start there? Okay, great. Why don't we start there? Because I, you know, going in knowing your passion for Halloween, Mm -hmm. your love of Halloween episodes, I really wanted to hear what you thought about the costumes that we have here.
0: I will say that in, in one sense, like I, there's this part of me that wants to make the perverse argument that this is not actually a Halloween episode, that it is that, but I don't think that that's true. It takes place on Halloween. It ends with trick-or-treating and everybody's in costume. So by definition, it's Halloween.
1: Let's pause because I I do want you to actually make that argument. We can come back to it. (laughs) It's not a Halloween episode. Let's come back. We can like put that, set that aside for a moment, but I just want to, mark it so that we can come back because i want to hear that okay continue
0: uh wait with my argument about the <laughs> no we
1: can come, we can come back to your argument mm-hmm. that it's not a halloween episode so now we can still stay on the track of where you're going deciding it is a halloween episode
0: oh well but so yeah it has all of the it has all of the like iconography and and it takes place in, in one sense i suppose like a halloween episode is about is a setting, it's like a setting, right? It's like a, we're in a particular moment in time and you do things differently or whatever. Um, so uh, but I can't remember what I was going to say about that other than um, I kept thinking about your point in the last episode. I thought about it a lot, actually. Because you, you were kind of making, I it was like, it wormed into my brain where you were kind of making an argument about what character is and like what good characters are. Um, and I was like, oh, do I agree? Is that true? Like, because one thing that's been interesting about talking about the show with you is kind of like figuring out what the narrative form of a sitcom is and what um and what narrative offers us in general, especially like in our kind of pleasure entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, with that in mind, I kept thinking, oh, Megan's gonna argue that the costumes, <laughs> the costumes express the characters in particular ways that we wouldn't have anticipated. And so I was like, is that true? Was the first thought I had in my mind about their costumes. And then the second thought was like, "Okay, if that's true, then what does it mean that Pam is a cat, for example? Um, But I will just say, yeah, I really did enjoy what they do with the costumes like, okay, so Jim is three hole punch Jim. Mm -hmm. Dwight is a Sith Lord. Michael is what like just paper mache. Michael does he ever name it?
1: I just I think it's that he's a two headed man.
0: Right. Okay.
1: I think that's all. Pam's like a, cat. a cat. Yeah, Pam's a cat. All the women are cats. Are they really? Did I miss that? Except is that Kelly? Except Kelly, she's
0: Dorothy. Right. Okay.
1: And you know Meredith is something else, but we don't really see much of Meredith. I'd say the the women who are in it most um phyllis angela and pam are all cats
0: i cannot believe i forgot that detail that's interesting um the guy who gets fired his name is Devin, right he's a hobo <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> classic costume
0: creed is a vampire uh am i forgetting any oh wait oscar's in a dress yes is he and a character
1: Canada specific I, Say thought that I, thought he just, I thought he was just a woman. Like, I didn't recognize it as being right. anyone particular. Did you?
0: No, I had the same thought. I was like, okay, so he's a woman. Um, I really should have taken not notes.
1: I don't think. Right, I think Stan- I don't think Stanley dresses up.
0: I don't recall. And then what about um the temp? Does the temp dress up?
1: I don't think the temp dresses up. And Toby, I noticed this for the first time and just at the very end, he is wearing silk pajamas under a trench coat. What? A long, full-length trench coat. And I don't know what's going on there. You're usually our great defender of Toby.
0: <laughs> I got nothing on that. Um So, yeah, I thought, uh, I mean, I guess I don't have, like, a totalizing theory of these costumes other than... I was kind of interested in how they are generic in some of them are generic and some of them are specific. Um, yeah. And that like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do think this is kind of like we had a Halloween party this year and everybody came with like highly specific, like super ultra specific costumes. Um, yeah. And I was like, wondering if that's just you know our like friend group or whether it's like a measure of changes in the cultural practice of halloween because like when you're younger or i don't know i feel like i definitely can remember like people just being a ghost or whatever i'm a vampire like you're not this particular vampire from this particular book series with this particular outfit you know what i mean um and i felt like these costumes tended more towards the like i'm a cat you know, and maybe you do that in workspace. I don't know. What were your thoughts? I'm talking too
1: much. Hmm. I'm really curious about that now. Yeah. That issue of the kind of generic costume, like the one that you kind of could get in a bag at party city versus like the really specific costume. Hmm. I don't know what to make about that. I don't know what to make of that, but um yeah, I was. You're so on to me. I was trying to think. Ooh, and Kevin, but okay, back so yeah, about your being on to me. I was trying to think, what do these costumes uh sort of bring out about the characters? And some of them I really didn't know what to do with or didn't sort of take anything really from it. Like Pam as a black cat. I did think a little bit about the ways that we have the three cats. I don't know if a cat is like just the, like, are are men, do men ever dress up as cats? Is that just like a really standard, I don't know, kind of femme-seeming costume? I don't know, but Pam is a plain black cat. Phyllis has animal print, and like kind of a leopard print and a tiger scarf. So it was a little bit of a sexier cat in that way. Mm. And um, Angela, I feel like Angela had the most that went into that costume. I feel like she was a slightly more elaborate cat with like kind of a fuzzy skirt and the white white and black ears. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So we've got the cats. Dwight, I really, really wanted to hear from you about Dwight and the Sith Lord because that's a Star Wars thing. Is that right? yes. Okay. I think you can bring a lot of, a lot of insight to this. So have, can you fill me and the non-Star Wars viewing audience in on Sith Lords?
0: Yeah. They're the bad guys of the Star Wars universe, you know? And they're like, I mean, I, I, on the one hand, like how to put this? Like, I don't, I, I have a really conflicted relationship with Star Wars. Like, it's a thing that I like, I know, I think a lot about it, but I also am like not that, I would claim that I'm not that invested in it and don't really even like it that much. So I don't know, sometimes I think of this as just like, um, you know, like a residue of your socialization as a boy or something, or it's like, yeah, like, one of the things that comes with it is just some like you you have to talk a lot about star wars with boys or something i don't know anyway oh, but you
1: but, learn about trucks and you learn about star wars
0: yeah i feel like yeah. that's like part of it but um so yeah i don't i don't actually i don't particularly like have a passion for it or whatever but mm-hmm. anyway but on the other hand like that's the other thing is like if you get into any conversation with star wars like with dudes like it's just this bizarre like pissing pissing contest or dick measuring contest where it's like yeah like I don't unless I'm going to the bad parties or something but I just feel like Star Wars fans are like a a group of people that I feel really ambivalent about uh maybe not (laughs) not ambivalent I'm just like 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 they're so their opinions are so strong about something that is so like frivolous in my view but uh on the but other hand, like I've spent a lot of time enjoying Star Wars, and Jen often describes it as Muppets for adults, um, and uh, I find that charming and funny. And anyway, so um, what was I going to say? Oh, Star oh, the Sith Lords are the bad guys. You have the Jedi, who are like the you know the, the the kind of Zen Master, you know, ninjas or whatever, and then the uh, the Sith Lord They're like the evil villains. They use the dark side of the Force as opposed to the light side. And um, so Dwight is being a Sith Lord, he's not being a specific one, but he looks very similar to um, uh, Emperor Palpatine, who's like the big bad guy.
1: I, knowledge. I knew you were gonna bring Emperor Palpatine?
0: Palpatine, yeah.
1: Okay, let me <laughs> and, <mention
0: that. laughs> Yeah, and he's like the big bad. He's Darth Vader's like master. Uh, oh, yeah, so there he is a joke to be made.
1: the dark power.
0: yeah, so like Darth Vader in in Star Wars terms, Darth Vader would be like assistant to the regional manager, which <sighs> is Emperor Palpatine.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, that's brilliant.
0: So so in some ways, Dwight has presented and now he hasn't said that like he didn't say that was his character so but still you know the fact that he's a Sith Lord means that he's
1: like the big bad Um, yeah and it's like a visual reference definitely okay here's another one you know when he's in the office or in Michael's office and he's talking to Michael and um, (laughs) trying to convince Michael not to fire him he's saying not Dwight when Michael has his other head on his shoulder and he's like listening to the head on his shoulder who's telling something about who to fire and and,
0: uh that's a great scene
1: think that's about dwight or something but it's shot from the side and his big black hood is kind of covering most of his head yeah you can kind of just see his mouth is that some kind of reference
0: yeah that was definitely like a reference to the to the emperor i think in like empire strikes back or return of the jedi and also wow. one of the things that Jedi and I believe, I don't know if this, do we ever see this with Sith Lords, but we definitely see it with Jedi in Star Wars movies and stuff where they'll be like, um, this is not like one of the famous lines is like, these are not the droids you're looking for. And they wave their hand and like, and the and the and the weaker minds are like, oh yeah, this is these aren't the droids we want, or something. You know, basically, you can like mind control people, and so I thought they were also referencing that that Dwight's trying to like mind control Michael with his Sith, you know force powers or something like that.
1: Wow, this is illuminating.
0: But all of this co- brings me back to the point of like, okay, who is Dwight? But also. What does white represent in like 2005, 2006 cultural terms? Mm -hmm. And what I find incredibly interesting is like, okay, at this point, Star Wars is popular again because you've got the prequels. Like the first prequel come is, I think, 1999. So I don't know when we are in like Star Wars history, but probably the second, if not the third. But Star Wars has not been bought out by Disney yet. So when (laughs) when that happens... I feel as if Star Wars becomes this thing for everybody. Like, and this also... Is
1: like, this is like last time when you asked what year the show started and then situated it within the whole history of comics.
0: <laughs> I really, I really hope nobody ever discovers this podcast.
1: I love that you used the phrase Star Wars history.
0: Okay, <laughs> I'm concerned. I'm concerned about what's being revealed here, but... But I've always been interested in like, I feel like, like when Kanye, like a certain moment when Kanye West is popular, like Mm -hmm. I feel like he, and I'm trying to think of other examples of this, or like the popularization of Steve Jobs as a particular figure, like there was this straight male um, nerd masculinity, I feel like became popularized in the consciousness,
1: and you start... Kanye West was a big Star Wars
0: fan. No, but he, I feel like he and like other kind of figures represented a shift in which masculinity, nerd masculinity became kind of the dominant masculinity so that it was okay for like, you know, butch dudes to be into things like comics, Marvel, Star Wars,
1: Technology,
0: computers, yeah. Like, if you look at, like, 90s pop culture, early 2000s pop culture, you always have this, like, geek or this nerd. And I feel like, well, even maybe Big Bang Theory is, like, the last residue of that. But then, and I never really watched that show, but, like, that show is consisted entirely of nerds, right? And, like, what's weird about it is it starts out in which every character is, like, the nerd, but then that show becomes incredibly popular and they're all nerds. I guess my point is just that like, I feel like Dwight is a hinge. He's a, he's, he's like the last residue of that. Like you're the nerd in the office. Whereas now like would all of them would know what star Wars is and they would all recognize it. Cause you can't get away from all their kids would be watching it. You know, all of their kids would be playing Lego star Wars or watching, you know, the new Disney star Wars show or whatever. Like all of that crap has been mainstreamed in a way and so anyway i was just really interested in that and it made me understand that like oh dwight is still in that he's like this cultural figure of the nerd as socially marginalized as like pretentious as um (laughs) what else like uh uh, ace antisocial and like not um not into the right things not like Sexually viable, you know, all that. I don't know. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Like, would never win Hottest in the Office. Award.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Tyler, we have to talk then about Dwight's watch. I don't oh, think wow. he's wearing it in this episode, but you know, there was that thing of like the nerd watch being a watch that has like this little tiny keyboard on it. Yes. Dwight has that watch, which is the Apple watch. Mm. Right? Just the earlier version of the Apple Watch, but your thing about Steve Jobs and the kind of change of the nerd going mainstream and becoming cool and like running the tech world, the, yeah, that is what happened, that Dwight's humiliating watch became the kind of dominant watch in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, that's interesting.
1: Wow, okay. The nerd represented
0: a kind of technological expertise that everybody else couldn't yes. have. Once yeah. you have like smartphones and, and worldwide use of the internet, does that then go away? Like you don't have the nerd as like a hacker or a specialist.
1: The point. Cause like, you no longer really need any skills to be able to <laughs> operate a computer on some basic level, right? Like yeah. obvious, obviously there are, there's a massive amount of skill. to right. do it well. Right. Just, you know, the gateway kind of level just to, you know, use a word document and search the internet and go on Facebook. Like you don't need any training. Yeah. It's like accessible in a different way.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's part of what like shifted it or, I mean, certainly too. like kind of the consumer culture or the cap, you know, capitalism discovered that nerd culture is a huge market. And like, so video games at a certain point surpass movies, uh, for like, you know, um, you know, the amount of like, th- you know, things sold eyeballs, you know, um, capital made or whatever, like, and yeah, like everybody plays video games, right. Like on their phone now, or like whatever there's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I've just been thinking a lot about this kind of the ways in which that kind of stuff became consumerized. Anyway, so it was really interesting to me the idea that Phyllis and, but even like Jim wouldn't know what he is is so
1: oh, of yes. a particular
0: moment. Whereas like, you know, um, I don't know what would replace that now. I'm not sure.
1: Huh? Yeah. I still also didn't know what he was. <laughs> well, I could be being yeah, like. Uh, no, I think like you're right. People. I think you're right, and I am just like a Star Wars controversial opinion resistor um I knew it was them? something something in the category of like Star Wars guy but I don't know I just is I can't. Dan
0: is Dan a Star Wars guy no oh no. interesting okay be
1: the Star Wars guy
0: <laughs> if you came home and you like went upstairs and you found Dan like in your bedroom watching Star Wars would you be like really upset would you be like we need to go to couples tales
1: (laughs) i would feel like i did not know him (laughs) it would be be a real surprise but yeah so
0: jen is like super anti-star wars like she really thinks it is it is stupid like incredibly stupid in her view
1: Jen and i need to talk because no one else agrees with me about this
0: (laughs) she has a default, I mean, I, you know, she might contest this representation of her, and so hopefully she won't listen to this, but I do think part of it is, like, it's, I think she would agree with this, I think it is certainly the specificity of, like, she doesn't really like fantasy, definitely doesn't really like sci-fi, Yeah.
1: and, um,
0: and the, in and the early, you know, um movies, like, there's, like, one woman character, you know, so it's, like, all of that, but, she also just has, I think, a gut resistance to things that are mainstream and popular. So the fact that everybody's like, oh, you haven't seen Star Wars, only hardens her resolve to be like, I have no interest in this. And uh-huh. you can fuck you for <laughs> for suggesting that I should.
1: <laughs> ah, okay, well, good. We share a strong, a strong stance. <laughs> on this episode,
0: by the way, is gonna be like three hours long because we have <laughs> not even <laughs> scratched the surface.
1: We have not even gotten past. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, here, this is where, this is where I want to go. So, um, because we have Dwight now has this Star Wars thing, he's got the Harry Potter thing, but also the Crow. You mm-hmm. said that this kind of comes together with the Crow.
0: I just think it clarified for me that, like, number one, we as the audience are meant to see him as a nerd. Mm -hmm. um or i mean we could debate like the difference between a nerd a geek or whatever but you know for the sake of argument you know he's he's somebody that's into like nerdy things and and that that it was like oh that's how these things all fit together Mm -hmm. and that makes him other in the office and that that i think i didn't realize that because i kind of think of like oh all of my students, they've all, or at least for a time now, it's something else, but for a while, it's like, they all knew Harry Potter, not because they were nerds, but because it was just part of the culture that they grew up in, in the way that like, I saw um, every, you know, like Disney princess movie that came out, not because I was super into them, but because it was just like, they were coming out when I was a kid and you go to the movies and it's like a cultural touchstone. So, um, so First, it clarified for me that he's a nerd. And then secondly, in the kind of economy of the show, he's being contrasted to Jim partly in that way. And I think that that might be part of my resistance to Jim. Is it like, you know, Jim is, um, you know, a jock essentially, right? Like he's a, he likes basketball. He's picking on the nerd. So there's this part of me that's like, I think I see Jim as like a bully in a way that is, um, I don't know uh reminds me of, of, of negative stereotypes or something like that even though obviously Dwight is also a libertarian and authoritarian <laughs> so, and I kept thinking like oh no Dwight would be like <laughs> he'd be into QAnon or he'd be like into Trump or whatever <laughs> like I have been thinking that on the show I'm like who on the show would vote for Trump and who would not <laughs> anyway So anyway, that's it. It explained to me that like Dwight not only is a particular kind of person in the show, but he also represents a historical moment in masculinity that I think it would be interesting to watch as the show evolves. Does that change?
1: I love that. Okay, so I love that idea. I do want to question if Jim is a jock Mm. and to what extent he is a jock. Yeah, and maybe. How your own experience positions you in relation to Jocks that might make you overinterpret Jim as Jock.
0: Yeah, my transference is blinding me here.
1: <laughs> but let's talk about okay. So why do you see him as being like jockey and bullyish in this episode, and partly like with his costume in contrast to Dwight's costume? Because he says, yeah, he's three-hole punch version of Jim. Because you can get plain white Jim or you can get three-hole punch.
0: Well, I have to admit, I was like, Jim's costume was my favorite. And I was like, you know, that's the costume to which I aspire. Because I think it's like, he, I mean, I, I I will revise. Like, we know that he's into basketball. Um, and we know that he's, I don't know, he strikes me as kind of like a cool guy. Everybody yeah. likes him. On the other hand, he is also kind of a hipster in a way. We don't have any Like evidence of what he likes, like what? Well, no, we know his movie tastes from last episode. That's true. But anyway, I thought that his costume marked him as kind of like a hipster. He's ironic. He is.
1: Yes, the ironic.
0: Self-effacing, and there's something very conceptual to me about his costume that I.
1: That's what I was gonna say. I was like, "Is this like conceptual costume?"
0: Have you ever? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, I wonder if my own questioning of him as jock is actually kind of tainted by information that only comes later and that is his high school yearbook picture oh (laughs) really uh kind of will upset that idea but i can't yet bring that in we haven't gotten there okay Um, but i don't know if i'm thinking of sort of like in contrast to roy or the sexy temp (laughs) being like i don't know kind of cool and a different way i don't know
0: i agree i agree yeah no i think probably jim i mean remember he he had uh dazed and confused in his top five movies and that is like a slacker movie and he is he is also a slacker which is kind of a holdover from like 90s masculinity to or not just masculinity kind of gen x vibe and um yeah. He like literally is a slacker at work, but also like his hair is askew. He's, you know, yeah. like kind of doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I would think of him more as, as a slacker than a jock. Um, cause he doesn't even care enough about athletics or yeah. sports, right? His whole thing is like That's not.
1: Yeah. So whereas then, then it's like his basketball skill is maybe slightly surprising.
0: <laughs> so what did you make first of his costume like in what way do you feel like it expressed him and then i was kind of curious your take on pam's costume Hmm.
1: so so jim i think you're right on about it being like the kind of ironic conceptual like needs it's like clever it's Mm -hmm. and maybe like Mm -hmm. maybe thinks of itself as a little too clever uh like it's being kind of cute in that in that way um but it was good it was creative and it was clever and it's kind of funny i like his line about the plain white gym and three hole punch gym but then it's like it's kind of over you know like you deliver your line and it's done i thought pam was a very cute cat <laughs> um i just thought you know that little black nose i just yeah. felt like she she was a very cute cat um I don't know, but I didn't really have anything, any big insights about it. didn't
0: really, it wouldn't mean either. I was kind of hoping you would, but I, I mean, first I missed, I guess, or just forgot that all three women are cats and maybe that's the joke and that they're different kinds of cats. But on the other hand, I did feel like, huh, like Pam is kind of nondescript in a way. Um, yeah. Or maybe that's just my bias. Like, cause you, as you pointed out, like being a cat is like a it's not only like a particular kind of femme costume it's also like like I can remember every elementary school teacher that was a woman being a cat or like a witch hat. You know so it's like it's like non-threatening it's not too sexual it's not too um scary it's not too you know it's like a perfectly acceptable mm-hmm. feminine norm costume.
1: Yeah. yeah you're right it's a very very safe
0: Mm -hmm. which is Um, maybe how i feel about pam a little too safe
1: a little too safe break up with
0: roy already come on
1: Uh (laughs) um shall we circle back to your initial suggestion that this maybe isn't a halloween episode
0: yeah well because this will get us to the plot so the plot here (laughs) is um michael has to fire somebody who doesn't want to and i guess like, it partly made me feel like, okay, just like literally in terms of the plot, that everybody is dressed up for a Halloween party that will not happen.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: And so like, in a sense, in, in some way, I was like, this is like an anti-Halloween episode. Like, there's nothing specific in the events of the episode that make it Halloween-esque. Other yeah. than the, the the costumes and even wearing of the costumes doesn't actually impact the plot in any way, as far as I can recall. So yeah. I guess that's why I was like, is this really a Halloween episode? Because it could have happened and all of the things could have happened on any other day. And I mean, maybe that's the thesis of the office is that like <laughs> being in the office is like, um, What, Groundhog Day? Like it's everything, it's always the same thing and nothing changes and that's what's so soul-crushing about it.
1: (laughs) You know what though? Maybe this is why I like the holiday episodes of The Office when I don't really tend to like them of other shows. Say more. Because it still is The Office. Yeah. It doesn't feel, yeah, like it doesn't feel like it surrenders The Office story to the setting basically or toward like needing to have the the holiday special so
0: do you not tend to like episodes that like break format or genre
1: yes that is correct i do not i tend not to like those yeah Yeah. i think that's right this is why i don't like musical episodes that we talked about fascinating you know when they do like a musical episode i um hmm what is this all about? Maybe I'm too safe like Pam, but no. uh,
0: I don't know. Is I- it about genre or is it about um, like the world that the story is uh, like um, mm. articulating?
1: Maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. Cause I feel like I like, I don't know. I like the story to kind of maintain its world. In some way, and kind of continue to develop that. But genre wise, this also connects to my like kind of hating Star Wars and just never really being interested enough in Harry Potter or Mm -hmm. like any of those things. I have no I looked up information. Oh, sorry, dog noises in the background. Um Mm -hmm. I looked up the crow, no interest in seeing the crow. I think I'm like a very plain safe, wanting real world kind of viewer maybe.
0: I have another friend who's like, like we're always, you know, just chatting back and forth about like, oh, what are you watching or whatever? And like all of the shows that she's interested in are like realist drama. Mm -hmm. And everything that I'm interested in tends to be like, well, horror or like thriller or, but genre stuff. Like I definitely like a sci-fi genre. I like mashups of things. I mean, I like, but the one thing I don't really love is like realist drama. Not because it's bad or because of whatever. It just doesn't like, I don't know. It's like I I I don't know. To me, I feel like I want something else or something. I, I don't I can't even yeah. articulate it. It's just like a mood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Fine. And maybe this is why I enjoy The Bachelor, because I'm just so committed to reality. <laughs> Realistic. <laughs> characters and (laughs) storylines
0: are you watching the most recent season i have fallen away after like the last couple of seasons i haven't been watching
1: tyler i may fall behind but i never fall away (laughs) (laughs) i'm fully committed but that's for another podcast
0: i never fall behind i may
1: fall behind but i never
0: fall away is the most we're putting that on your gravestone like that is
1: beautiful please don't. Now I'm afraid someone is going to listen to this podcast and <laughs> without it. Um, but plot. This, I feel like so to the, yes, yes. The plot. Okay. Um, so Michael's big thing. Cause I feel like this is where we also learn about a lot about Michael. Um, yeah. but yeah, so the struggle he is in so much pain this, you know what this episode is actually feels a little bit similar to is, um, You know, we talked about which one is it where it's Meredith's birthday and he's signing the card and he's stressed out in his office about signing the card. I feel like this was sort of similar where we see him a lot of times in his office, like with his head in his hands and the camera's like looking through the blinds and he is stressing out over this decision. So this also goes back to... um, when he contrasts himself with Donald Trump and says the main difference between me and Donald Trump is I don't like to say you're fired. I like to say you're hired. So here we really see the struggle of having to actually fire someone. I want to know, Tyler, who would you fire? Whoa. In Michael's position.
0: Oh, damn, I didn't see this coming. Uh... Who would you fire? Ooh. Well, I will say I did think it was... Uh, this is delaying my answer as I think about it, but um, I, it was it was just funny to me that like it reminded me of like Star Trek or something, which is a, a, a nerd show that I am passionate about and will defend. Unlike the Star Wars, Star
1: Wars slash Trek. world, oh, yeah. Really. I'm going.
0: I'm really like going political this up. I'm like here, here, are all my hot takes. But uh, I was just <laughs> okay. on Star Trek too. You know, it's like suddenly we have a mission and like, here's a character that we've never seen before show up and everybody acts like they know them because that character is going to die. And I <laughs> it was just very amusing to me that it was like, suddenly here's Devin, a person we have never met before. And I don't think we've ever seen even in the background, just so like he can be fired. And um,
1: uh, have we, so now I, I really want look back. I'm trying to think if, so, in the fire episode, there was this like little cluster of people who were over. this still completely supports your point. <laughs> but this small cluster of people that were like way over across the parking lot. yeah, and I'm like was Devin one of those? There are a couple places too, where there's like this random woman who's in the conference room or something who ends up not really being part of the show. Now I want to go back through all the previous episodes and see, is he sort of there somewhere on the sidelines but even if he is he is completely forgettable this is the thing
0: i i remember thinking uh, how to put this i don't i'm just this is something i'm actually really interested in as a structural constraint of narrative which is that god we're getting real i'm gonna get real pretentious for a moment but like like okay so then on the one hand the narrative has to like project the sense that the world is populated with all kinds of people to make it seem real. On the other hand, we can only focus on certain people within the world, right? You can't, it can't focus on all of them and it can't focus on all of them equally. Not everybody can be a protagonist. So Mm
1: -hmm. like,
0: it's been interesting to me in the show because it gives you the impression most of the time that you know all of the people in the office and you're just gonna focus on some of them more than others. And our window into this world is primarily through like Michael, Jim, and Pam. And mm-hmm. so this is an interesting moment where it seems, and maybe too in the previous episode, where like actually, no, we don't know everybody in the office. And if that's true, then there's like an ethical or maybe even like social choice in why we've chosen to focus on these people as opposed mm-hmm. to any others that we could focus on. And... I, it actually disturbed me slightly. The idea that like, what if Devin had been there all along and I just wasn't paying attention to him in the background? Like, <laughs> like what is the sh- is the documentary that is taking place within the show choosing to focus our attention for some pr- unstated purpose on certain people and not others I- anyway? And by what criteria? Is it like these people are more entertaining than others or they're more socially representative of something? Um, hmm. But this may also just be like a fact of narrative in of all narrative, right? Like that you can't, you always have to focus on something at the expense of something else. And mm-hmm. anyway, I don't have a point anymore. So all of that is to say, yeah, are there other people, are there other workers that we're not seeing? <laughs> but of course, I guess there are, right? Like there's other branches, there's other bosses, there's other, you know, things that we are, Necessarily not seeing at any given time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, all of this will become relevant, I promise the listener, because we're going to hardcore debate the ending of this episode when we get there. Um, <laughs> but I've delayed answering your question. Who would I fire? But the reason is because I'm like, are my choices constrained primarily by people? I feel like if I was Michael, I would fire somebody from the warehouse uh, because you would be least likely to lose the. Um, solidarity of the white collar workers by firing one of the blue collar workers. However, uh, maybe their salary is not as much. And so he needs to fire somebody in the white collar. I don't know. I don't know the comparative salaries. But I must say, like, Kevin seems like the obvious person to fire, right? (laughs) Like, what is he contributing to anything? (laughs) Uh. But even asking me that question, Megan, you've drawn me into the capitalist power structure that the episode naturalizes.
1: That's what you get if you're a mid-level manager. I mean, this is why I, I this is why I have no interest in being in a position where I can fire people. <laughs> this series. it was a trick question, you
0: bastard! You tricked me. <laughs>
1: no but um
0: I, I should have said i'd fire myself was that was that the same? <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> no i would unionize i should have said i would unionize <laughs> the office and stage a walkout so that oh man we can never release this episode
1: that's exactly what i was going to say tyler i was going to say sacrifice yourself for the cause uh no i 100 wasn't i was going to say fire Devin. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that guy, I he, I was so pleased to see him go. I feel like he took all the space that he needed. I mean, I would have fired Creed too. <laughs> I think Kevin might offer more than we think that he does. Maybe not. Mm, I mean, he,
0: he, he offers it. heart.
1: But he does offer heart and <laughs> a really um, unique <laughs> and lovely costume. But yeah, Devin, ugh, out. Happy to see him go. I but would do
0: we know enough him of out. him? Let me ask you, that. do we know enough of him to sanction his firing? Because I feel like all we know of him is in his reaction to not only being fired, but being told that the reason he's being fired is because Creed told him to do it. So, yeah,
1: I mean, fair point. Am I judging this in a way that is incredibly unfair? <laughs> yes. Still fired up. He has not made himself known.
0: I was like, okay, on the one hand, the show seems to be suggesting that like foreshadowing his firing by him being a hobo. And on the other hand, I was like, I was like, okay, that's fucked up. But funny, I guess. On the other hand, I was like, if, if within the world of the show, he does not know that he's being fired. So he doesn't know that his costume is ironic. So what is his logic in being a hobo? And I was kind of like, you know, I think you should be canceled, Devin, because that's not a, a socially acceptable, like where's his solidarity with I the working work. classes and the under underemployed, you know? Um,
1: but that was a standard costume. <laughs> I will say like that, that was, uh, yeah. I, I think that this goes to your, Star Wars is in a different time. And I think hobo costumes were also in a different, if we look at the history of the hobo costume, <laughs> even that word, like, do we even have that word anymore? I don't know. But I don't um, think so. <laughs> but yeah, so I think- Yeah, I that
0: feel that actually costume. like nervous that I've been saying that word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is honestly like the title of that costume that like- 100%. The package version, that is what it was. Like, yeah. I feel like you almost, only use the term hobo to refer to the costume. <laughs> right? Well, this and is, not this like is the actual <laughs> people who you know jump on trains and have a little like, you know, those <laughs> part of it. I feel like was that stick? You know, the idea of like a oh, bindle, a bandana <laughs> to a stick. It just yeah. I think
0: it was called a bindle, and I think I only know that because of Simpsons. Uh, oh, really?
1: Okay, I'm <laughs> It sure. doesn't, doesn't really hold a lot. It's not the most logical of. Um, I never, I, never, I never really thought
0: about that that's <laughs> a great point like
1: get a bag what are you doing this I mean and this connects back to our discussion of purses and <laughs> logical purses in the uh the hot girl episode but yeah your so memory
0: your memory of our episodes is so impressive to me and it is I feel so much shame that like as soon as the episode's over I'm like completely forget everything that happened and I'm a little concerned about what that says not just about like the podcast but like how I live my life like anyway uh I must have memories but man I forget all this stuff so quickly
1: I will say I have no memories of most of my life and I think this might show the disproportionate level of importance that I place on the office this is much like the super star wars fans um, <laughs> you know so i might i might uh hate on them but really i am the same
0: that is now that i realize yeah this is you are the fan of the show and i'm just like oh i do feel i have been thinking lately i should be more critical of the show uh you know to spice up the podcast some more although i gotta say i feel like this is our best episode i'm we're firing <laughs> on all engines and yet we have barely talked about the episode. <laughs> Even though I loved it. I loved this episode. I thought it was so good.
1: It's so true. So let's see what else. Okay. What else do we need to address?
0: Okay. Well, let me, let me put my strong argument out there and then I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. So my, going back to the very first episode of our podcast, I remember bringing up basically like the kind of um, critique I've heard people say of the show, you know, whether it's in social media or, or in other stuff. Basically, that the show is, um, you know, it's like uh, makes you sympathetic for the upper class, you know, and it's like it, it it focuses our attention on Michael's, you know, drama or on the drama of the corporation rather than like the worker, right? And um, and it like reifies or naturalizes labor and stuff like that. And I was like, this if you wanted to make that argument, like this episode is a perfect example of that. Um, in that, like, the whole thing is focused on Michael's pain over firing somebody, and not really the worker's experience of being fired. Even though, yeah, like we get we get to see Devin's reaction, but even you were not sympathetic to him. You're like, "Fuck this yeah, guy!"
1: Exactly. <laughs> Zero like, How
0: dare you throw out, the, rip up the Chili's gift certificate? I think that's where he lost you. You're like, "Don't give away chilies,
1: man." Yeah, but, right. that was a powerful moment.
0: And so, uh. And and the episode emphasizes our solidarity with Michael by like Devin leaves and we don't see him. And we feel bad for Michael that he doesn't get to have his Halloween party, right? Like he dressed up, but there's no party. And his narration at the end is basically like about his previous costumes. And you know, it's melancholic. And and uh, and then we cut to him at home and he is giving out candy to children and the bag open he's like very friendly with the children he's not inappropriate he's not awkward he's genuine he's earnest he's interested he tears open the bag and then the candy spills out right and so everything to me hinged on this image of the candy spilling and him saying oh that's all yours take it all because i was like well all right if you wanted to make the counter argument to the cynical pessimistic like one that i just made which is to say that like the show is is asking all of us to like feel sympathy for our corporate overlords um, and humanize them at the expense of us as workers. On the other hand, like maybe Michael as a very specific character, he wants to be the person who hires more people. As you said, he doesn't want to be Donald Trump. He wants to be Michael Scott, who says you're hired. And then encapsulated in this image is the Jubilee of candy. Like he's giving away he does not give them each one piece. He's like, take as much as you want, right? And it's like, this is a representation of like the kind of generosity that he wishes he could foster, but that the corporate structure prevents him from doing, right? Because the episode opens, it's Jan is the one who's making him fire somebody. I mean, I guess you could argue that it like feminizes the hierarchy. Like it's it's his woman boss and the woman like secretary on the phone, both of whom are like, forcing him to do this
1: uh-huh. and
0: uh, I don't know. I, but but I I really was kind of like unsure and I'm sure that like a smarter person than me would say, oh, actually those two things are intimately related. Like it's important, like it, it inures you more to capitalism to believe that your boss is a good human being who wishes they could offer you more than they could or something. But I wondered if the show was actually emphasizing that the structural constraints are the things that prevent Michael from being the kind of um, having a certain relationship to labor that he would like. Anyway, I'm going to shut up now. Those were my, I was curious what you made of that argument.
1: I think those, I I would agree with the point about the structural, it kind of revealing the structural constraints because he is not, I I don't think we can really call him a corporate overlord. (laughs) I think he is very, this is not a man who owns the means of production. Like this is not a man who also has even a great deal of wealth or anything like that. Like he's the manager, he's the boss in the office, but um, he doesn't really seem to live. I mean, like he drives the Sebring and he thinks the Sebring is a huge deal, but he, he doesn't to me really seem to live in a fundamentally different, category than the other people in the office kind of like we get you know with his um condo that he can't there's that scene you know when he's on the street and he's looking at it with Dwight and he says home sweet home and then he says oh wait nope it's not that one it's this other one you know that like he can't even yeah pull it apart so this is not like a house that has the kind of grandeur that makes it indistinct or that makes it just clearly distinct from um others so and when Michael sits in the last in the previous episode in the back of his car with Ryan he's talking about how you know when you're so successful and you become the manager it really separates you from Mm -hmm. other people I feel like the only the way it separates him is it it forces him to make these kinds of decisions that he does not want to make but he feels in this kind of as I mean, he feels pretty powerless in here too. Yeah. To me, and the um, if if anyone would would critique the end with the Halloween candy for the kids, uh, I just I mean, it it totally worked on me. That wins my heart so hard. I find that part just so touching because when you see right before the kids ring the doorbell, he's sitting. In his place, and you can see the t- the light of the TV kind of hitting his face, and he's kind of looking down, and you- he's just like dejected by this day. And the joy that he gets, I think, seeing those kids and talking about their costumes and how great they look—it's just so sweet.
0: But is that like just to play devil's advocate for a moment? Is that the problem? Like, what would how would we feel if it cut to Devin like calling his partner and being like, I lost my job today and we can't uh, go. I don't know. You know, little we little Johnny David. can't go out for Halloween because we can't afford <laughs> it. I don't know. Um, we,
1: we hate Devin Tyler, so it doesn't matter anyway.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it also brings us back to the question of genre, right? It's like, it's a comedy. You know, I mean, I suppose somebody could argue, oh, like comedy is inherently, you know, meant to like like it can poke at certain contradictions, but like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think this like resolves the contradictions. But anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I guess like I, I kept thinking like, all right, how could you have ended it in a way that would make the audience feel Devin's plight as much as Michael's? Do you know what I mean? But if Devin is not really a character. Yeah. And we would be slipping into like realist drama, right? Like to get at his like precarity or whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's -hmm. also a different historical moment. I don't know. It's, I kept thinking like, okay, this is pre housing bubble crisis. And so I'm not exactly sure what the economy was like in 2005 and six, you know, Mm -hmm. so maybe him losing his job signifies differently. Like, I'm not sure, you know, is he just going to jump to some other white collar office Mm job um, or is he you know, what is he gonna do? Is he going on welfare? like what's happening? Like you know, he's got a severance. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, that's true. He does. you know, and I guess it's a question too of like what do we um expect and ask of TV shows and maybe more of narrative right and like does it have to have a moral purpose? right? So like does it have to be about the kind of moral lesson where it leaves us caring, where it ultimately is all about caring about the person who lost his job. And maybe I think like, that's one way of, of looking at it, but, you know, maybe not also. Yeah. I guess like, does it, yeah, I, I don't know that it necessarily has to do that or that it's necessarily obligated to always do that.
0: I feel like I always forget that point. (laughs) Like, I feel like I'm, I don't think I believe that it does. And yet I often feel like I'm supposed to think that it does. Uh...
1: Like, is it supposed to be good for you? You know, like are the things that we watch supposed to always be good for us? And like, what, uh, you know, in doing some of the good for us things, I guess this is like, you know, the what characters you focus on, Mm. like, you know, in doing some things, that are you know good for the audience or whatever they it also makes choices to not do other things right and so you know
0: well that yeah i think that's such an interesting point um because I, I think that's a problem i have too sometimes is we're all like kind of totalize a narrative rather than being like hold on it's a bunch of different moving parts that don't necessarily resolve so like mm-hmm. One of the, I thought one of the most interesting moments in terms of the show kind of demonstrating the um, broader structure within which all the characters operate was when, um, well, first Michael's like basically says to the business people like, or the accounting, um, like find a way to get like 50 grand or whatever, right? Like Uh benefits or something like that. I'm trying to find the particular line. Uh, But anyway, you know, it's like making clear that like it's a it's this is like the fundamental tension between um, capital and labor. Right. And capital is always trying to undersell labor to maximize profits. And there's like a certain threshold at which you just can't do that. Right. And so it's like, okay, how are we going to find 50 grand or whatever? And then the accountants are like, well, there's one department where there are three people where they where where you only need two. And they realize that it's them and it's just like moving on. I thought that was so fascinating and brilliant. Like there's no discussion or debate. I actually felt that that was really insightful too about like power relationships, right? Like Michael is the manager, but he doesn't actually know anything about where the money is. And and in some way too, it's like the accountants are going to take care of themselves, right? Like whoever is in charge of being in charge of something is always you know, by default, by necessity, gonna you know, watch out for themselves. And I thought that was like an interesting moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I'm, as I'm continuing to think about this too, it's like, if, so if the show did not follow Devin, so like the way that it does, right? Not ending with Devin and sticking more with Michael, but Michael was not, did not feel so much pain from this whole process how that also would be different because it seems like some of the gravity of the issue is sort of indexed actually through Michael's pain and even though it's not that it's ultimately worse the worst thing for him by any means I don't know there's sort of something interesting about that and about the way the burden kind of gets expressed through him and i guess and through this character that we know more yeah Um, but i don't know i don't know well it certainly
0: makes the boss okay so on the one hand like you could argue that like it makes the boss sympathetic right um Mm -hmm. on the other hand as you've pointed out and i think like in beautiful like really beautiful ways too you're sort of showing us like how much the story like <laughs> demonstrates that your bosses tend to be like stupid and <laughs> um, ill, you know, like it's, there's nothing that makes him pretty, he's not like a particularly good or bad boss. He's, he's like, I think meant to be generic in a lot of ways, right? Like he's, he's annoying. He's people don't like their bosses, right? Like, and it's not just because of the person that they are, but it's because of the fact of being the boss like it mm-hmm. makes you dumb in some ways. Like it's it's a structural thing as much or a role as much as a as a individual filling that role. Um, so it's not as if the show like idealizes him as a boss or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And and as you said too, it doesn't make him that much different. Like it's his power doesn't make him um, you know, particularly good or bad or whatever, but it does, it does. As you're saying, like the boss here is a person that feels and is like, we've talked a lot about how he feels like this neediness to be liked and this yearning to be um friends with all of his co-workers or whatever. And there's something like that's what's really interesting, endlessly interesting to me about this particular take on representing the boss is like, you know, his sadness about Devin being fired is. Also about his narcissism, but his narcissism, like you could imagine, a Trumpy narcissist being like, "I fired you," and so I'm, and that means I'm great, and you're a loser. But Michael's is like is very different. It's like a kind of I don't know if it's empathy, but it's definitely melancholic.
1: Yeah, I think you're right because it's like he also is, like he might be in a position of certainly more advantage than. Devin is but he also was trapped by this thing right and so it can also it does humanize him and I think it can like I don't think that that's a bad I don't think that that's a bad thing
0: um can I bring a deleted scene in or is that like is that a bad thing yeah it's a bad thing is it borderline,
1: we need... borderline. well because no, uh, you, you can as long as we keep it in uh context that it is a deleted scene
0: <laughs> it's a deleted scene and I just I'm never we've never watched them I've never watched them but I On the website that I go to look at the script for, you know, as a reference at the bottom, it includes the deleted scenes. And I was accidentally scrolling down, but there is a deleted scene where Michael says, and I just think this is interesting to imagine. He says, I have a proposal, everybody listen up. Now corporate has been really breathing down my neck to make some pay cuts, but I refuse to fire anyone. So I was thinking that maybe all of you would take a 10% pay cut and that would save the money. And Stanley says, yeah, we're not doing that. I have kids in college, make a decision.
1: Mm-hmm. And Michael
0: says, okay, great, fine. Well, then if anyone is annoyed later at what goes down, you know who to blame. Stanley, not the guy who is trying to be creative. <laughs> it's really interesting to me because, I mean, on the one hand, the phrasing is all of you take a 10% pay cut. So he's not offering mm-hmm. his own wealth.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But on the other hand, that, it, that is like, it would be a different episode if, Although would it, because the whole thing is about all of them trying not to get fired, right? Like Pam starts praising his costume
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and Dwight and Jim gets nervous that he overheard him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: it does make clear, maybe it makes clear enough that everybody is kind of like, oh shit, like it's a zero sum game. It's either you or me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right.
0: That's right. What about Jim and Pam's uh, plot here? Any thoughts on, on uh, there? story
1: Mm. i guess oh well so there's a story they uh they put dwight they make a resume for dwight and post it on the internet or submit it for this job at cumberland mills um and i don't know it's kind of it's kind of sad the way that they are mocking Dwight but I feel like it just sets Dwight up for this really wonderful line to ask when he gets the call what does it say under martial arts training and he says oh okay I'm gonna have to supplement that (laughs) and then when the guy um the guy he's talking to basically like contests whether martial arts training is relevant And Dwight says, excuse me, I know about a billion Asians who would beg to differ. Uh, So I feel like the martial arts thing, his martial arts skills is just another layer of Dwight that gets to be brought out um, by being mocked by Pam and Jim. And then Jim's, I think another kind of uh, touching moment in this is when Pam gets the idea that Jim should actually go for that other job and she imagines him and just his sadness. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're, you're, uh, you're exposing how little I felt for Devin and how much I feel for Jim in this moment of getting his feelings hurt and for Michael's feelings being hurt too. (laughs) So I'm no good judge of this.
0: No, but I think I'm, you're persuading me though, very much that like that. Yeah. Like what kind of show are we in and what kind of assumptions are we making about the show's obligations? I think that's such a smart, point i'm gonna keep thinking with but yeah i i on the i thought i would have a lot to say about the jim and pam plot i really don't i think i thought the stuff with dwight was really funny like his his reading the one the, the moment that you mentioned where he's like kind of huddled on the phone and he's like whispering yes. into it i thought the <laughs> line reading of that was just really funny
1: yeah.
0: and i don't know why i think whispering sometimes can be very hilarious uh I know. it's a weird statement um and yeah and the ways in which they were um uh you know framing his skills was hilarious like sticks to his guns
1: Uh and then
0: uh when Jim pretends to be Michael Scott pretty pretty effectively I thought um
1: Mm -hmm. that
0: was very funny I mean it's hard on on a podcast sometimes to just be like yeah that was funny that made me laugh um (laughs) but yeah I I I actually have a a genre question for you about this though like do you feel okay when you're watching this kind of show do you feel as if the characters are like your friends uh or that you're like hanging out with them or something like that
1: not really I don't know I don't really think I do I mean I feel like I um have a lot of feeling for them and like feeling of connection to them but I don't think I really feel like I'm friends with them
0: do you I don't think I do but I do feel like sometimes like when I'm re-watching a show or I want to rewatch something I feel like I'm hanging out with it in a way mm-hmm. like I'm like oh this is a familiar space I'm like yeah I know so, the the, the, show,
1: the show itself then becomes like a familiar and comforting kind of place well comforting for me maybe cringe-inducing for you but yeah it becomes the show itself is like a part of life
0: (laughs) yeah but like it's different than saying like the characters are my friends or um but yeah I was kind of thinking though like the cringy moments of this show make it harder for me to like want to hang out with it Uh uh-huh um but on the other hand yeah I don't know anyway um But it, yeah, I I think I do kind of want to keep in mind this argument you were making that like maybe Pam Pam and Jim well because I was cut, sort of saying like for a moment that maybe Jim is bullying Dwight but Dwight is reprehensible in many ways and really <laughs> um, even here where he's like. He's, he's proud of his outfit because it cost him one hundred and twenty nine dollars, and then Phyllis calls him an ad. Only
1: the lightsaber, I believe, cost him one hundred and twenty nine dollars. <laughs> I
0: was like, there is no way, no way that costs that much.
1: Goes back to Michael being like, I do not understand what you spend your money on about his glasses. <laughs> <circumstances." laughs>
0: right, right.
1: It's another right. one of those things, and I guess this is sort of related to Dwight and his outdoors skills, but when Michael. <laughs> He was in one of those little interviewing things And it's kind of clear that the question was Have you ever gone hunting? Yeah. And he says, yeah, I went hunting once Shot a deer in the leg Had to kill it with a shovel Took about an hour, why do you ask? I <laughs> <laughs> did but just the thought of Michael hunting, doing it so badly, shooting the poor thing a leg, and then like what it turns into when you have to beat a deer to death, shovel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um.
0: Got about that line.
1: Wow. I I don't even. I, don't I really liked. That. I mean, and it's following, it's following when he tries to fire Creed and fails. And so yeah. it's like, you know, a good, somebody who's good at this will just like shoot right to the heart, like do it quick, do it direct and have it be done. But he <laughs> just, um, you know, hits the leg and has to, has to take it from there, which involves a lot more physical effort and struggle, <laughs> but just... I don't know that's that's one of my favorite lines.
0: I I really loved uh, the two firing scenes back to back are really funny the Creed and Mike uh, Devin one and Creed like kind of talking his way out of it is just hysterical to me and I was like have we really had any Creed scenes yet like do we know anything about this guy because I don't remember. Yeah,
1: I don't think we've had much of him at all yeah so we get we get a lot more a lot more creed here. I think we should probably be moving about to our dundies. Oh, I okay. I want to recognize the fact that Michael, when he's describing his past costumes, he was Monica Lewinsky twice, two years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> and like, several years after the whole Monica Lewinsky was uh, in the news. So I thought that was funny. He was OJ. <laughs> Just... It was interesting how we get Michael's present costume, but how that little narration like also gives us the history of Michael's costumes. But anyway, do you have any- if Michael
0: would be going on and on about cancel culture. You know he would. He'd be like, oh, you can't say anything anymore. <laughs> He's <laughs> already right,
1: saying that. In this yeah,
0: story. that's true. He's prescient in that way. Um, with two quick things. Number one, just to read it into the record, one of my favorite lines from this episode, yet again from Dwight. He says, "Would I ever leave this company? Look, I'm all about loyalty. In fact, I feel like part of what I'm getting paid for here is my loyalty. But if there was somewhere, if there were somewhere else that valued that loyalty more, I'm going wherever they value loyalty the most." And I was like, "This is a great example of how the show, you know, satirizes contemporary capitalism and like, you know, it's like I, he, you know, loyalty has a price, and I love that." But.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I did want to because we're English professors and we're sort of obligated to do this, just really so quickly, but <laughs> did did what is what did you th- did you think that Michael's um costumes signified in a particular way? Because I was like, it's interesting that it's Monica Lewinsky twice. There was Janet Jackson with the um with the uh what wardrobe malfunction or whatever.
1: But he says he OJ. just he's not even the whole Janet Jackson. He just says last Halloween I came as Janet Jackson's Jackson's boob.
0: Jesus, it was topical. <laughs> uh OJ and then and then this year he's this. So I was like what's the relationship between these previous costumes which are all risque and like kind of politically or socially you know, I don't know, rele- or not relevant but yeah. you know, I mean, they're probably irrelevant by that. Like, he's doing Monica Lewinsky so far after the fact.
1: Yeah, he's, like, late on it. But, yeah, yeah, what are those, like, big... He's
0: striving to be, like...
1: Recognizable.
0: Yeah. What did What is his... The best I came up with was two-headed, you know, two-faced or something, but...
1: You know what? I wonder if it's, like, he really... He wants his costumes to be big, like, conversation pieces. You know, like, he wants people to react and all of those things are provocative in some way are recognizable I mean I I don't know so I guess I guess in all of those cases yeah it like gets attention in some way the interesting thing about this one or a part of it that sort of stood out to me is when he tells Pam yeah I had to order order away for it in July yes he like he discovered this costume possibility and the thing I love about it is that he was so into this I mean he cares about Halloween like you care about Halloween. Uh oh. <laughs> so he made this investment months in advance in order to show up at the office with this thing. Yeah. What's your take?
0: Uh I love that point. I think I think you're totally right. I think that's part of what it's supposed to kind of signify right is like his enthusiasm and investment in this and then also um I don't know maybe it's important that it's not a particularly good costume because mm-hmm. Pam's like it's so fantastic is what's funny about that is that it's not that it's not that great.
1: <laughs> yeah she wasn't oh. in, she was not going to have any like she had no reaction to it until yeah. she had yeah. to strategize a reaction to it
0: I do think too it is funny, uh, or the, I don't know it's funny. It's a relatable experience to have a Halloween costume that people don't like really get or that is not especially legible. Um, and like Jim's is the positive version of that. and Michael's is kind of the negative version of it. or it's like his it doesn't really make much sense or it's not especially clear. whereas Jim's is like one two here. It's like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah anyway.
1: which actually fills me with sadness. like to think Michael has been, Think about how excited he's been about this costume for so long. And really, the tragedy of this episode is that Michael's Halloween is ruined.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, but I, that's ultimately what I want to argue, is that where we should be focusing our concern is about Michael's Halloween disappointments. And that's something I think you can really relate to and care I can, about. I can. Yeah, that is as the truth. comparable right? as you might be with that argument. <laughs> <laughs> And this is a perfect time to go to the Dundees.
0: Um, time
1: to go to the Dundees. Tyler, you start us off. Who are you going to give your Dundee to today?
0: Given a double Dundee uh, oh, okay. to Jim and Pam. Uh, and I don't know we should yeah, we cool. need somebody to come up with an Excel spreadsheet so we can see who's gotten Dunde'es over the course of this. but oh, that's a great idea. I think even though yes it's it's all in good fun and whatnot, they actually do get uh, Dwight a legitimate job opportunity. So uh so I get what would I call this? Like, you know, Dundee for um, you know, uh uh, I don't know, um supporting your coworker or something like that. Yeah. Like in the job but hunt.
1: Accidentally supporting your coworkers. I mean
0: it's Dwight that like screws it up, but like he can call right it away. Yeah. So
1: I thought His it was possibility following the martial arts comment is yeah, he ruins it for himself.
0: Yeah, so they get my uh dundee of or the two of them this okay. week.
1: You that is excellent. Um, I think I wanna give two. I'm gonna give the runner up to Oscar because I thought Oscar looked great in his costume and I felt like he was he dressed as a woman, but not in the way where it's like where I can imagine Todd Packer doing it, where you're like yes. making fun of women by doing it. It just yes. It was just a nice costume. Yes. Um, And I want to give, though, my top Dundee to Stanley today. I haven't come up with a title for this, but let me tell you why it's for a very specific, um, very specific moment. And that is when Dwight goes over and tries to fire him. Mm. And where did I write this down okay here we are so so Dwight goes over and Dwight says something like um Stanley will you come with me please and Stanley just says no and then Dwight starts to say as assistant regional manager and Stanley just says to the
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just thought that was such a good assert like, such a good insertion there and then Stanley just laughing so hard at Dwight trying to fire him uh was just delightful Delightful. I thought that was Stanley
0: at his best. Doesn't Stanley then go, like, yiffy it? Like, he does the, um... Yeah! Yes! I think he does. Oh, Um,
1: yeah. I gotta go back. Oh, I gotta go watch it again.
0: Which I thought was, I was like, oh my god, oh, right. Like, that was very popular at this time, and it was, unfortunately, one of the things that led to giving legitimacy to this (laughs) business person um anyway uh
1: ultimately then maybe what we need is more people like michael uh uh uh-oh i'm getting into some bad
0: i don't know i don't know if i i'm not signing uh, up
1: territory i am micah canceled but i'm going for it but maybe (laughs) what we ultimately need is some more leaders like michael scott (laughs) who are so pained to fire people that they will do everything they can to avoid it. (laughs) Now I'm nervous. Oh,
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. This episode, we've gotten real. We've gotten real here. And uh, real. well, next episode, I believe is the fight. Is that right?
1: Ooh, the fight. Yeah.
0: The fight is next. Um, So uh, I'm really looking forward to finding out who is fighting and what they're fighting about, um, but uh, we'll be here. So thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we will see you next next time.
1: All right, bye.